Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. Hi, I'm Sif Heider, the founder of Array. I'm a wellness entrepreneur and digital creator, and this is my show, The Dream Bigger Podcast. Listen, I love dreaming big, but you know what I love more? Actually having the resources to make those big dreams happen. And hey, dreams can sometimes be private jets, but other times they can look a little something like having the best skin of your damn life, or starting a successful business, or delving into spirituality. So on this podcast, I chat with experts and thought leaders from different fields about their tips and tricks on doing exactly that. So let's get right into it. Hello, hello, friends. Welcome back to the Dream Bigger podcast. I am your host, Sif. And if you're new here, welcome, welcome. If you've been here before, welcome back. I'm so happy you've tuned in again. This week's episode is with a powerhouse woman. Her name is Danielle Robay, and she is one of the most incredible journalists I have ever encountered. I went on her show, Pretty Smart. She is on the Dear Media Network as well, and it's an incredible show. Check it out if you haven't yet. She is such a a fantastic interviewer. I can't even tell you. I mean, she just has this warmth to her. She invites people in. Honestly, it's obviously like expected considering she's a top journalist. She, I mean, you'll hear her story on the show, but she has done everything from red carpet interviews to some of just the craziest stories. And she just has a tendency to get really juicy tidbits from people. Extremely talented, extremely hardworking, and I admire her so much. She's smart as a whip, really fucking cool, and you'll hear all about her story. And it's really an interesting story because it's a story of resilience and how you make it. I think that a lot of people wonder how to break into industries, but maybe they don't know where to start or they don't know what it takes. And Danielle has really worked for what she has. And her story is amazing. I think you guys will absolutely adore her. And I'm so excited to bring you the show. Before we dive in, two things. Let's do this week's review. So it says, it comes from Puffy Awesome Kid 27. And it says, first time listener of your podcast. It was amazing. I've been following Ilana for a few years now and always enjoy her story and all of her tips. This uh, review obviously is in reference to my episode with Ilana Molstein, 
who is incredible. She is a nutritionist and I really enjoyed speaking to her. Um, and I, I think you guys will love that episode as well. And honestly, I love reviews like this because it helps me understand what you're loving about the show, who you think I should bring on next, what kind of value you're taking away from it. So if you have a second, please, please scroll to the bottom of your Apple podcast app and leave me a five-star review and a rate, sorry, five-star rating and a review. (laughs) Switch those things around and tell me what you love about the show. I love to hear from you. It helps me understand what you're loving. It helps me foster community and it helps the show get out to more people. So I hope you guys take a second to do that. It would mean the world to me. Before we dive in, one last thing, let's discuss this week's hot tip. So I have an episode coming out I want to say early next year, it's with Dr. Laura Devkin, who is a, just an incredible plastic surgeon and skin expert. And so after speaking to her, I bought one of her serums on at the Sephora sale. It's the BCE serum. And I've been using it for the for the last little while, and I absolutely adore the results. I feel like my skin just looks brighter. It's an amazing vitamin C. It has so many different benefits. It just brightens your face. It's a precursor to collagen being built, and deals with any imperfections you have in the form of like hyperpigmentation or anything like that. It is a really nourishing serum. I use it every morning, and I love it. So I had to recommend it. It is this week's hot tip. So I hope you guys go check it out. It is maybe a little pricey for some people, but again, it's one of those products that I highly recommend. You can just use that serum in the morning and like forget about everything else. It really is that good. So that being said, let's get into this week's show with Danielle Robay. Okay. So the first question I love to ask people is what was your big dream when you were growing up? Listening to your podcast, I knew you were going to ask me that. (laughs) (laughs) You did your research. I did. Come on. I'm a subscriber. It's embarrassing. My dream when I was young was to be Britney Spears. <laughs> oh my God. I was her biggest fan. It's so embarrassing. <laughs> it is not embarrassing. It really Britney is. Britney was the goat. She really was. You know, I looking back, I'm not sure why. I think it was like she just had such stage presence and she was dancing and singing. And yeah, but quickly after that phase, I really wanted to be the millennial Barbara Walters. So I wanted to interview heads of state and celebrities all at once. Oh my God. Well, here you are. Trying, man. I mean, that's kind of where your career led to, which is really cool. Like, I think that this question is so interesting because a lot of people go back to that dream that they had when they were little, which I think is so interesting. Like, it's almost as though like, I don't know, like your little girl self or little guy self like knows. You know? I, I 100% agree. I've actually talked to people on my podcast about this. Like they've brought this up because I think when you're in sixth grade, that time, like you actually have a lot of intuition about who you are. Mm-hmm. So in hindsight, I think a lot of us pull from, from yeah. our child. My grandma loves to tell this story about when I was little and I would go into her closet, bring out all the shoes and we'd play this game where yeah. she was, I, I was the shoe salesperson and she was the customer <laughs> Except I would give it to her for free. Like oh. I wanted to just give her the shoes, but, but it that's was like because you're so shop. kind. 
<laughs> right? That's your kindness. That's yeah, your superpower. That's like, you know, yeah, like it is. I mean, I, I think I'm a kind person, but yeah, like entrepreneur <laughs> at heart. So I feel like, you know, we always have that part of ourselves when we were little. Also, I know this is an audio uh, podcast, so nobody can see, but you are wearing sick shoes right now. Oh, well, thank you. You have incredible <laughs> white textured cowboy boots on. So the whole shoe thing was like a it's through stuck. line in your life. It's stuck. Maybe that's the future business idea. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? <laughs> Array 2.0. Yeah, there we go. So you got your in as a journalist yeah. by sending cookies. Yeah. What an interesting story. Can you tell our audience about it? What happened and what that led to? First of all, it's so Midwest. I'm from Chicago, like a small town of 8,000 <laughs> people outside of the city. And growing up, my mom uh, sold mortgages. And she would like, it's a it's weirdly an entrepreneurial profession. Like it's very much yeah. uh, commission based. So she would always give her clients like little gifts. And when I moved to LA, I graduated uh, college. I went to University of Madison, Wisconsin, graduated in that summer. I moved to LA, moved into a garage and had no money, no clue, no Well, friends. yeah, I would think so if you live in a garage. Yeah, I don't <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and no one would reply to my emails. I wanted to be a reporter. I wanted to be on the red carpet. And I had a newsreel from college. No one was giving me the time of day. Mm -hmm. And I didn't know what to do to get anybody's attention. So I started sending cookies and bamboo plants. And bamboo because flowers die. So I didn't want that to be like a week-long thing. I want the bamboo plant lives for a long time. Yeah. And cookies are memorable because who doesn't like cookies? So <laughs> I'd send people cookies and I'd write a little note that said, um, you know, if anybody drops out last minute or you need any help, I would love to jump in. Here's my email. And then they would oftentimes email me and say like, hey, Danielle, thanks for the cookies. Also, nice to meet you. And uh, we don't have anything right now, but we'll keep you in mind. And I would then have their email address. So we had a correspondence. I would follow up. Mm -hmm. Nothing would ever be available. But then one day, a host from an internet outlet got sick and mm -hmm. they called me last minute and I rushed to the red carpet. It was for X Factor. Simon Cowell gave me an exclusive and the rest was history. You know those things you are too embarrassed to talk about when it comes to dating? Like when to say I love you, how to define the relationship. Well, We Met at Acme touches upon all of those subjects and more, and we get right into it with our guests and talk about their dating lives and also what not to do when it comes to dating because we're all kind of confused together. So you can tune in every Sunday to We Met at Acme and maybe you can learn a thing or two while I learn a thing or two. That is so cool. So I want to go back because yeah. where did you even get these addresses? Who did you know to send these cookies to? Google, LinkedIn. Um, I would just stalk people. <laughs> no, I mean, it's 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 good. Like, yeah. I love hearing stories like this because I think you need to be a little creepy when you're starting out, you know? You know, one of my friends says creepy delicate. Yes, and I like that. Um, it's sort of creepy delicate. And I think I definitely sent some things to the wrong address. And that was just, you know, part of the, the deal. But there's this quote I love that if you know your why, you'll figure out the how and the what. Mm -hmm. And I was relentless. I knew I wanted it so bad. Yeah. I wasn't going to do anything. You know, I wasn't going to bend on my morals, but I, I was going to do anything in my power that felt in line with my values that I could to make it happen. 
So what are some other cookie stories you have where like what like what's the craziest thing you did to get a job? Wow, that's so interesting. I've put a bunch of pitch decks together, mm-hmm. like unprompted, not asked. I think one of the things that are that's really important is when you walk into a meeting, most often people think about how can I impress the person on the other side of the table? And that's the wrong question. What you should really be asking yourself is how can I add value to that person's life and how can I make their life easier? So I walk into a meeting having already brainstormed after doing research about what they could potentially need help with, how I could lighten their lift and what value I could add to their company. Oftentimes for me, that's social or digital media knowledge because the people at these companies are like 50 or 60 years old. And like, that's something I can bring to the table that maybe they're not as familiar with. You know, one of my favorite stories is I was on my way to a red carpet late and was running around with a photographer who was also late and couldn't find the carpet. And we ran into this guy outside of a gym and the photographer was talking to him and I just chimed in. I'm very talkative. And he left and the photographer turned to me and said, you know, that's the head of NBC News. And I was like, excuse me? So I went to the red carpet and I found his email later in the day. And I was like, it was so wonderful to meet you. Is there any way that you would meet with me in person? And he was so kind and he said yes. And so before the meeting, I put an entire deck together of like his, the, audience numbers and the viewership and all of this and like what I could add and why entertainment was of value. Looking back, it was sort of embarrassing because like the head of NBC News, NBC News knew his viewership numbers. Like he did not need a 23 year old to tell him that. But I think he respected the vigor and the time I put in. So I think people really want to help. They want to be of service to you Mm -hmm. and you just have to kind of tee it up so that they can help you. I love that. And I think like both of these stories are actually like incredibly important, the cookie story Mm -hmm. and this one, because it's true. Like, I think that if you shift your perspective from how can I impress to how can I add value or be of service, like, I think it just changes everything. And like, it's how it's worked for me. It's even now um, running a company, like we get resumes all day long. And it's always like someone who I don't know, like goes that extra mile. Like even even if it's like I've not learned anything new from this like information that you've sent me or it's like a deck that, okay, like I know most of the information, but they went through the trouble. And like yep. that shows hunger and grit. And I think like a lot of things can be learned, you know, like I think almost a lot anything. Of, yeah, anything can be learned. And but like that hunger and that grit, it's like inherent within you, you know, I completely agree. So I think for younger people who are listening, maybe just getting started with the, their careers, like I think these are like both great stories. Like and I think like everyone should learn from this. I just think you can get creative. Like mm-hmm. there's there's no right way to do anything. Yeah. Just yeah. listen to your gut and go after it. Yeah. Agreed. So what happens after this Simon Cowell situation, like, yeah. do you like do you ultimately land a job? Were you getting paid to do like did, were you paid to do that Simon Cowell thing, or was it like a last minute thing? Like, like tell me about that time in your life. <laughs> I was getting paid twenty five dollars <laughs> a red carpet, which honestly didn't even pay for like my gas there and back. But I didn't care. That's why I was living in the garage so that I could afford to do that. <laughs> and um, eventually, I put a reel together. And um, someone at Clever TV saw it. And that was a digital media outlet under Defy Media, which housed like 
some of the top YouTube channels of the time. And I got, that was my first real job. I got hired there. I think they paid me $51,000. That's not bad. Which was not bad. That is not bad, girl. That was not terrible. I say that because I think it's so important to give people, uh, particularly women, information about uh, finances and mm-hmm. be transparent about that because I think it's really hard. Um, it's so and hard. you don't know. And yeah. no one really talks to you about it. So, Especially um, in the creative world. That's where it's particularly tricky. Yes. I didn't know coming out of college like what I should expect, like what was the norm. People who I looked up to never talked about it. So I think it's so great that you give out these numbers. Yeah, I think you have to. Mm-hmm. Um, and I want to walk the walk. You know, if I preach about it, I better be doing it too. Mm-hmm. So got that job and uh, we started doing original programming and entertainment news. And eventually I went to Entertainment Tonight Online, NBCLA, got a gig in Chicago. So I moved back to where I was from and hosted a morning show, which was like the Good Morning America of Chicago. It was like two hours live every day. Mm-hmm. And eventually I quit and moved back to L.A., Okay, so there's a lot of questions I have about each of these stages. So with Clever TV, I mean, this was YouTube. Was this back when YouTube was a big thing? Like what what year are we talking? Yeah, that was 2014. Oh my God. So it was like before it really like blew up. Yeah, Instagram was just kind of starting. Yeah, YouTube was uh, popular, but you could still, the algorithm was such that you could really still make things that hit and, Mm -hmm. and find your footing. So- Do you feel like kind of you've had your foot in like both worlds, traditional and digital media, having worked at Clever TV, what do you feel like it taught you that you were able to apply then to traditional media? Like what was like, how do you feel like you had a leg up, if that makes sense? That is such a good question. No one's ever asked me that. (laughs) I think uh, it gave me a leg up in many ways. Yeah. We had very little resources and very high expectations. And so I, along with all the other hosts and producers and editors, had to be all things. Mm -hmm. Like I shot my own stuff sometimes. I edited, I produced, I wrote. I had to become a one-man band and also had to get really creative. Like we would always play games with celebrities. That was a thing that we did that ultimately a lot of traditional outlets started doing. And that was because of Clever TV. So yeah, I think we had to do a lot with a little and it was exhausting at the time Mm -hmm. like I remember calling my mom complaining about how tired I was and I don't like to be tired you and I talked about sleep (laughs) but it was worth it because yeah I think I had a different lens when I walked into these traditional environments I was like we don't need all that money I can do that with a lot less and let's get creative and how are other ways that we can look at these interviews and ask different questions I think it's really great that you say this and you bring it up because I found that like having worked in both traditional media and digital media, like working on social media or having a blog or whatever it is, you learn to wear all of the hats, right? And I did it the other way where like I was first in traditional and then I went to digital where I guess I was doing them kind of simultaneously. But I think that that makes you so powerful when you're going into traditional, right? Because you come with all of these skills that maybe people who have just worked in traditional media don't really have. And I think it gives you like like something special. You know what I mean? I think in general, like no matter which, like you did a traditional and then digital, like no matter which way you do it, the more you know, 
Mm -hmm. the better. Yeah, I agree. So then let's flip it around. What do you think digital creators can learn from traditional media? Ooh, another good question. I love that. Interesting. It depends what kind of digital creators, because in some ways, I think that traditional media has sort of this appointment viewing. You know what you're going to get. Like, Mm -hmm. do you remember growing up, Friends was on Thursday nights Mm -hmm, at mm -hmm. X time. I think it was 7 p.m. And we would all like watch at 7 p.m. on Thursdays and we knew to expect it. I think digital creators can take that appointment viewing idea and use it to their advantage. So people want to know what they're coming to you for. That's part of great branding, right? That's like the pillars. Like I have four pillars on Instagram, feminism, fitness, fashion, and then like books and and my job. So I guess five pillars. People want to know why they're coming to me. They're not coming to me to get cooking advice because that would be a mess. So to know that they're coming on Tuesdays because I'm going to post a book review, they know to come. And then on Thursdays, I do, you know, X, Y, and Z, like a thought that I have for the day, something like that. I think appointment viewing on Instagram could be really cool. So, so smart. Because like I've seen certain creators do this where like they'll have like a certain day where they do like some sort of programming special for Instagram, like I don't know, Wellness Wednesday or whatever it is, right? But like thinking of that approach from traditional media, you're so right because like you just like knew and you would go and watch TV for that specifically. I love that tip. It's so, so smart and everyone can kind of apply it to their lives. Well, now I sort of think of if we're using Instagram, but this could be TikTok or anything. Everything, yeah. For example, Instagram, your Instagram page is the network. Mm -hmm. That is NBC. So your stories are one show and your feed is another show. And you have all these mini series and you have to think about what those are to you. Oh my God, I, I, I love this advice. It's so, so good. I'm so glad. So from Clever TV, you moved to E! News afterwards or E.T.? E.T., yeah. E.T.? Okay, what was that transition like? It was actually really hard. Yeah? Um, I was really excited because E.T. is such a big brand name mm-hmm. and growing up it was, it still is, people will say, sort of like the gold standard in entertainment news. Mm-hmm. I don't know if I agree, but that's like what it, in the industry, that's what it's sort mm-hmm. of termed. And I had such high expectations or hopes, I think. I didn't realize what I had at Clever. It was such a creative, inclusive, fun atmosphere. We would run into each other's offices and I've had some of the women that I worked with on the show and like we would be like, okay, I'm interviewing, I'm interviewing Selena Gomez on Thursday. Like, what do you think we should do? And we'd all sit around and like brainstorm for each other. And that just, it was so different because E.T. was owned by CBS. So it was just so much more corporate. Mm -hmm. Um, And I learned a lot. So I'm very grateful for that experience, but it was not as fun. Yeah, I mean, I think that when you work for like a smaller organization, you just get to do more. Yeah. Like it's just one of those things that you lose as like an organization scales or like you move to a bigger organization. So yeah. it's interesting that you say that. There's things to be learned from each, right? Because mm-hmm. like the ingenuity you have from a smaller organization is amazing. I think one of the things that we lose when we like a lot of people, I think, want to go straight to entrepreneurship and don't ever work for somebody else. And Sometimes it works out, but for the most part, I think it's very valuable to see how other people lead. 
how other people send emails, mm-hmm. how other people inspire their employees, what things you don't like that your bosses do. And so like to learn from a more corporate structure, I think was insightful for me. A hundred percent. Like I always say, so, you know, I work with Nish and Nish comes from FinTech and he's worked in yeah. like huge organizations. And honestly speaking, like the skills that he has when it comes to structure and organization is something that I lack because I've, I I only really know how to work for myself. I've worked for myself basically for the bulk of my adult life. Like, yeah, I worked at Elle for like a a year, but like after that, I've just been on my own. And like, yeah, what he brings to the table is like, like learnings that I just don't have. It's invaluable. But I think that's part of why you guys are such a good team is you are an out-of-the-box thinker and you think about branding, like you guys have opposite skill sets. Yeah, absolutely. I think we we both bring something like really like different to the table. But I think yeah. like for you, because you've kind of worked in that like little place and then a big place, like you have such a wide range of experience, which is awesome. Thanks. So then after that, you moved to Chicago. Tell me about that time. Like, how was the move back to Chicago? You had wanted to stay in LA, right? Like, what was that like? Yes. Oh, I fell in love for the first time. And I'm such a hopeless romantic. So I was in love, in love. And of course, that's when the job offer comes. Mm. Um, And I was almost going to turn down the job. But I had been, so I had quit my job uh, at ET. And I was living off my credit cards for about eight months. Wow. Which was really difficult and uh, full of anxiety. Also, it was nice because I had all this time that I hadn't had since college to like study great interviewers and come up with new questions. And I kind of learned how to cook, like all these different, I, I had time to fall in love. Like mm-hmm. that was part of it. But I almost turned down the job and I called a woman that I really admire. And she said to me, Danielle, if he is the guy, he will be the guy in two years. Do not turn down this opportunity. Mm-hmm. So I took it. And to be honest, I couldn't afford not to. Yeah. Like I was living off my credit cards. So I moved to Chicago and we did a morning show, which ended up being, I think probably the best job I've ever had. Mm-hmm. Like it was incredible. It was so cool to waking up at 2.45 a.m. was not fun. It's not good for your circadian rhythm. <laughs> uh, what do they call it? Like Ayurvedic? That's not Ayurvedic. But it was the coolest job. Like yeah. t- I've always wanted uh, to have a say. I love women that have something to say. Mm-hmm. And I've always had a lot to say, yeah. whether it's good or bad. And yeah, I, I got to have a say. So it was really cool. So if you don't mind me asking, did the guy stay the guy? Oh, no. Uh, he was not the guy. <laughs> so it's a good thing you took the job. Thank God I took the job. You know, I'm curious to know your thoughts on this because you're in a successful relationship. I'm single. I think there are moments where it's important to choose your relationship Mm -hmm. and choose your personal life. But when you are young, Mm -hmm. I don't think that's the moment. I couldn't agree with you more. Yeah. So like when you said that about this woman, I was like, I would give you the same advice because Nish and I started dating when we were pretty young, 21. Yeah. And three years into our relationship, two or three years, no, two years into our relationship, actually, I got into Condé Nast College in London. So cool. And I went. And I knew that, like, if Nish was the one, 
he would stay the one and we'd figure out a way. How did you know that? You had I so just, much maturity. I just, I knew. Because I was like, if I don't do this, I'll just resent him. And then what kind of relationship is that to be in like down the line? Like if I'm oh. going to do forever with him, then I like, I better know that this forever is the guy that supports me through whatever I want to do in my career. Yeah. And it was the best decision I made. And even like after that, came back to Toronto and we, you know, like things were great. But then I like, I kind of like my career took me to like more of like travel blogger. And for two years of our relationship, all I did was travel. Right. And we still figured it out. And honestly, I will say that like, if, if people are young, they should pick themselves because you never want to look back on life thinking that like, fuck, like I didn't take that opportunity because of my partner. Because when you're like older or like you're into your relationship further in, like Nish and I have been together for like almost 10 years now. Wow. I have no regrets. Like I can't look back and like blame him for anything in my life because he's always been the most supportive. So I feel like that's really something to look for. And you should be able to pick yourself. Because like, yeah. when are you going to do that if it's not when you're young, you know? Yeah, I mean, later, it, I don't think it's always so black and white. Yeah, like, exactly. You, you do make concessions for relationships. But when you're young, you got to pick you. I'm with you on that. Yeah, like in your early 20s, like, listen, life gets complicated later. Like, I, I'm, I'm 30 now. I just turned 30. And I can't fuck off and travel when I want to now. You, I'm glad I did it when I was younger, you know? And like, had I not, I would have wondered, oh, like, what if I, why did I forego that opportunity for mm -hmm. this guy? Like, what if things weren't good with Nish and I right now? I'd resent him even more, you yeah. know? So you had I, a lot of foresight. Thank, thank God. You know, like I'm, I'm really grateful that I've been that person who's always like, I'm going to do it. And like, just hope that like my partner is the right one. I knew with Nish, I knew, but yeah, like, I think that that woman who told you that gave you that advice thank was God very for Michelle. smart. Yeah. Super, super smart. So then you had this morning show. You loved it. Why'd you quit? There were a few reasons. Um, one was kind of the relationship. Mm. We had been long distance because he stayed in L.A. Mm -hmm. And after two years, he was like, we got to like, I can't keep doing this. And at that time, it felt like, OK, I get that. We, you know, like he was generous with his time. Yeah. yeah. Separately, uh, I had found out that my male co-host was making a third more than me. <gasps> And I was pissed. Mm -hmm. I had been doing arguably more work, like had a larger following than him, than him. Like there was no reason he should have been making more. And so I went into my boss's office and I didn't say that I knew he was making more, but it was time for renegotiation. And I mm -hmm. think they offered me a three or 5% raise, which was like a few thousand dollars. And there's a story that Oprah tells, actually. She was a news anchor in Maryland when she first started out. And she found out almost 30 years to the day that I found this out, that she was making less than her male co-host. And she went into her boss's office and she said, so-and-so is making so much more. Like, can you make this commensurate? And he said, well, do you have a family? Do you have a mortgage? And she was like, no. And he said, well, that's why so-and-so makes more. And she realized that he was never going to recognize her value and it wasn't worth fighting. She needed to take the job for what it was, get what she wanted out of it and move on. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think I've told this story a few times in like a personal realm and people have had different opinions. Some women have said like, you should have said something. Mm -hmm. 
I still think about it. I don't know what the right answer was. Mm -hmm. I didn't say anything. I felt like no matter what I said, they weren't going to see my value. Mm -hmm. And I needed to take what I needed from the job the way they sort of took what they needed from me and move on. Mm -hmm. I don't know to this day if that was right or not. Honestly, I don't know the right answer, but I get it. And the reason I get it is because we have a very similar approach when it comes to the way we see hiring within our organization, right? I don't think you change anyone, right? You don't change someone. If you find faults in someone or they're not working like within your organization or whatever it is, like they're just like not the right fit, Mm -hmm. then that's not their fault. That's like almost like your fault, right? And you just have to figure out like how they fit and make it work. And then when it's time to part ways, you part ways. So I get it because what could you have accomplished, right? So like it's, it's almost like you take back the power instead of like, I don't know, like pleading with someone else when it may or may not go the way that you want it to go. Yeah, and I think, you know, I, there's this quote that Juliana Margulies says in her book that's sometimes you have to learn more instead of earn more. Mm-hmm. And I believe that particularly early on. And I felt like I had learned all I could from the job. Yeah. So there wasn't any, maybe there was a small margin, but like, you know, there wasn't so much more I could learn. At that point, it was about earning more. Mm-hmm. And that wasn't going to happen. Yeah. 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 Fair. So then, well, I guess like now you're out of it, but like what can we as all individuals do to change that? Like, what are little things that each of us do have the power to do to change the way that things are? I love that you said each of us and not women, because I think it's a um, it's a holistic effort. Yes. And it's actually uh, it's actually valuable for men to have for women to have higher salaries or Mm -hmm. equal salaries as Mm -hmm. well. So the number one cost to companies is turnover. And I learned that um, from this woman who started the Family Care Act. And she was telling me that that is such a high cost to corporations that is often unspoken. So it's actually really valuable to invest in your talent, invest in your people and keep them long term. Yep. You are not going to keep somebody long term if they know that they are valued less because money feels like a value, right? That's Mm -hmm. like that's how we perceive value from companies. So. Uh, One of the things we can do is transparency. I think talking about it, there's no reason we shouldn't talk about it. When I found that out, I I had one more female co-host and I walked into our dressing room and I said, hey, do with this information what you want, but this is what I make. This is what he's making. You don't have to tell me what you make, but like, you know, do with that information what you want. So I think transparency is important. And what else? I think that men can really advocate for women too. I think that it's it wasn't my male co-host's job to make sure that I was making the same as him. Like, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. That's not fair to put on him. But I do think that at some point, maybe a co-host or a co-worker can help advocate for you mm-hmm. um, if it feels comfortable. I know that's not always everybody's comfort zone. I think all the points you've said are like so important, especially I think compensating people correctly like right from the top up and like I'm sure that entrepreneurs listen to this podcast who are hiring teams and truly truly like being on the side where like we hire people the 
gnarliest thing is replacing someone yep. or hiring in general. And so our philosophy has always been to compensate people so that they're more than comfortable. Like they know what the business does. Whatever we can do, we'll make sure they're comfortable because if you are out there worrying about money, you're never going to give your heart and soul to the job. Exactly. And so then what's the point? Like you turn people over every three months. The fuck is the point? When I was working at Clever, had I been making just a little bit more money, mm -hmm. I wouldn't have been anxious about paying my rent. Yeah. And all the, because in LA, it's expensive to live. Mm -hmm. And I, I could have given that extra 10, 15% to the job, like mm -hmm. the mindshare that I had about like maybe saving money or doing a few extra side gigs so that I could pay my rent. Like you're right. It's, it's all part of it. Yeah. And it takes up so much mental real estate for someone who works within a company that it's it's like it's almost just like not worth it because yeah. I think people can perform to the best of their abilities when those needs are taken care of. So like why? Yeah pinch pennies. You know what I mean? And it's so valuable to communities because when women, like on average, women lose about a million dollars over the span of their lifetime because of unequal pay. Mm -hmm. And that's about a million dollars that are spent on their children's education, on community programs, on finances that trickle down, on buying real estate. Like it ends up helping communities much larger than your own silo. Yeah, yeah, I agree. And I think that men do have a responsibility here too. I don't think you can sit there at the top where, you know, a lot of men do sit at this stage in the world still, right? Yeah. Like it's a lot of men who are What's making hard decisions. There's like more CEOs named John than there are women. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I believe it 100%. Yeah. And I think like it is their responsibility as well. Like, and I, like, I think it's incredibly important because... I just think it makes for a better world. Yeah. You know, and like, it's like reductive, but it's true. Yeah, point blank. I agree. So do your part, guys. <laughs> <laughs> so after you quit this this job of yours, you moved to yeah. LA again. Yeah, I moved back to LA. Uh, I moved in with the guy that I was seeing. Uh, didn't have a job. And I was, again, so stressed financially. Moved out of that apartment four months later. That oh my God, up. okay. Um, and eventually started working freelance at NBCLA again and then IMDB. Very cool. Yeah. So tell me about your move to LA and like, just like as an adult, because I think that, you know, moving to a new city and yeah. like maybe it wasn't new for you because you'd spent time here, but like, how did you find your footing? What was that transition like for you? It was kind of new actually, because I didn't recognize it at the time because I loved working and I was so, I was going after something, but I had spent so much time building a career that I had not built a life. All my friends were like friends from growing up that were not in LA. Mm -hmm. And I hadn't really to be honest, poured into those friendships. Like, I don't think I was that great of a friend. I wasn't a bad friend. I was loyal and honest, but I wasn't spending time caring for friends the way that I now have learned to do. Mm -hmm. And I spent so much time and energy. I made it like, I, I'd never done a New Year's resolution. I wrote down, to get a friend, you must be a friend. And I wanted to build a community. And so I spent a lot of time finding new friends, pouring into the friendships that I really cared about that existed already. I joined, I joined like a young leadership group. I started, I'm Jewish. I started going to Shabbat dinners. Like I really tried and put so much time into building a life. Where did you find these groups to join? 
like word of mouth. I had heard years ago that this person had joined a leader. Like it was an old producer from CBS that had a, a, that joined the leadership group. And I was like, that sounds cool. I'll apply. Or I looked online. Like I think, you know, I'm not into volleyball, but in LA, like so many people play volleyball. It's like a very social thing. I think whatever you're interested in, it's such a fun way to meet people because like when we're younger, we make friends based on proximity. And then when we're older, we get to make friends based on interests and like gut instincts and, and connection. And it's like the most fun time of life. So yeah, I, I think just like based on interest is yeah, great. Yeah, I agree. I also love that you say this about friendships because you know, Danielle, like I noticed the same thing about myself. Really? Yep. Yeah. Um, I haven't heard a lot of people say that. I, I did. And like, you know, I think I had this epiphany last year where I felt like I had neglected my friendships. Like, again, and like when you said that you were loyal and kind, like I resonate so much with that because I would cut off an arm for a friend, right? Yeah. Like if it came down to that, like I'm a very, very loyal friend and I'm there when something goes wrong. But I think that friendship, like really nurturing friendships goes beyond being there when something goes wrong, exactly. right? Like I remember a couple of years ago, my three best friends, like my actual like best friends from childhood went on a trip to Portugal and I missed that because I was so busy with work, right? And I was always like, that's, that's like my excuse. And like, it wasn't real excuse in my mind, right? But I had this epiphany last year, I think. And I was like, I am just not giving to my friends what they deserve like I right. and I'm doing wrong to myself and I'm doing wrong to them and like you you just you have to be there for beyond just like when shit hits the fan like you actually have to be there and give your time and it it honestly does bring you joy so I think like when people are career driven it's something that we neglect and almost something we take for granted and we shouldn't and it's not something people talk about often but like I, I ran agree. into the same thing and so it's so interesting that it's come up you know, someone recently said to me, when I try something new, I lose friends and I gain friends. Mm -hmm. And that rings true for me, but I think it's the friends that stay with you no matter what you try. Yeah. Those are the lifers. For sure. And it's not to say that seasonal friends are bad. Sometimes you need seasonal mm -hmm. friends, but I think there are seasons because there, you only have a certain amount of time some of that in your mountain climbing years is dedicated to work when you're building. Some of it's dedicated to your relationship. Some of it's dedicated to your family. But if you want to have good friends, you must be a good friend. And that yeah. is something I learned. Yeah. And like, I'm totally with you, right? Like my, like my closest friends have been there for me when like, like, or just been there. Like it's not impacted our friendship in the way that like, oh, like, fuck her. She's too busy. Like, not in that way. But it's more right. so like, well, you miss things, right? Yeah. Like, you miss out on things. And like, this and they year, stop calling and telling yeah. you the little things because they know you're just busy. Exactly. And so this year, actually, like, my three, like, same three best friends, like, we were supposed to do a group trip together. And I was like, I don't give a fuck how busy I am. I am going to this Good thing. for you. It was the best decision I made. I had the best time ever. And like, it was like, oh my God, like, I can't believe I've been neglecting this for my work. Like, I love my work and it is like, you know, Ray is my baby, but like, holy shit, those relationships are important, you know? And like, yes. you should never neglect them. I completely agree. Balance. Yes. <laughs> so talk to me about Pretty Smart. Like, what okay. brought that on? Like, how? Because, I mean, it, it's a very natural transition because you're an amazing interviewer. I just got off your podcast. But, like, talk to me about the idea and, like, how that came along from being a journalist. 
Yeah, I when I was in Chicago, I w- was reading a book called Beauty Sick. Mm-hmm. And at the beginning of the book, it says 54% of women would rather be hit by a truck than considered fat. And when I read that statistic, my heart sunk because if you had asked me in high school, I think I would have said hit by a truck or I would have said like, how fast is the car going? Is it a truck or a Prius? And that is so sad to me now. But the book talks about how the number one thing in America that women must be is pretty. And when I thought about all the pretty women in my life, they had bumps and bruises and they were pretty witty, pretty strong, pretty determined, pretty brave, pretty smart. And so I said, I want to take all of the things I have done in my career and pour them into Pretty Smart and interview women with something to say because I know you love books. One of the reasons I love books is because I learn the most from other people's stories. Agreed. I feel less alone Mm -hmm. because of other people's stories. The reason I listen to so many podcasts is I love people's stories. Funny, sad, important, intimidating, whatever it is, I want to hear about it. And I wanted to have conversations that people could learn to live better from, from women that are all of the pretty that matter. I I love that. And I think it's like such a, it's such a beautiful thing because, you know, I think about who I think is like pretty when, if you just ask me like, yep. who do you think is pretty? I think like my mom, right? Not one person says the girl on Instagram. Yeah, like it's just like, it's it's just really interesting. And I say my mom because like, you know, she's just this person that I look up to and she's so kind and wonderful, you know? And I think like we place so much pressure and like just this obsession on our looks and it we think it defines us, but it doesn't. It really doesn't. I don't know if you like feel similarly, but I notice that I put more emphasis on my outer appearance when something inside doesn't feel right. Mm-hmm. So like I have a character like my nose has character let's say and most of the time I'm like my nose has character and it's my dad's nose and I love that I feel connected to my dad and I feel connected to my grandfather but when something's not right in me like when I'm off kilter I start thinking like should I get a nose job Oh my God, yeah. And it's be- it's nothing having to do with my nose. It's, yeah. It's yeah. my insides. And so I think it's it's not possible and not realistic for us to be like, I'm not going to care about how I look. Of course you are. And you should because, you know, first impressions matter. And everybody, it's part of self-care to feel mm-hmm. good and feel put together. It just shouldn't be the only thing we think about. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Like, I love dressing up and I'll dress up even if it's just me. Yeah. But I don't let it be the thing that defines me. You know what I mean? Like, just outer beauty isn't who I am. Like, I can think of like 10 other things before I say, I'm so beautiful. You know what I mean? Like, beautiful as in like outer, like my face. Because that's not beauty. Beauty is a, in my mind, it is a amalgamation of different things. It's your soul, your character, your values, your appearance. It's all of these things put together. Like, I think we've all met people that are aesthetically really beautiful, that are really empty. Yeah. And it it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like, 
Yeah. It just doesn't matter. Agreed. So in your podcast, you do this thing where you have your yeah. little questions, this yep. the card deck, and now you're launching it. And as we were going through this interview, mm-hmm. I like, and you were talking about that those games you used to play when you'd at Clever with celebrities. Do you feel like the idea goes like way back there? Like, do you think like it was something inside of your head? You're so, so I love, first of all, you're such a good interviewer. Oh, thank you. Um, but yes, I do. I love games. I grew up playing games. I play poker and backgammon and I want to gamify everything. Like when I go on, I shouldn't say it's when I go on dates sometimes, I'm like, okay, let's play like 10 questions. I love <laughs> you know? that. Like I love games because I think it takes, specifically for conversation, it takes the pressure out of the conversation if you gamify it if you ask questions through a game like through a lens Mm -hmm. then people are more willing to answer and be vulnerable I think yeah yeah I think it's so cool so tell everyone about this card game so it's called question everything it's 52 cards for deeper conversation with the most stunning packaging I've ever seen oh my god I can't handle it you're so I wanted it to feel and look like an iPhone but with gold foil so fucking cool and then this kind of looks like lipstick right Oh my God, it really does. You're yeah, so right. Goal. Yeah, I, should, I shouldn't say that. It doesn't make sense audibly. But um, yeah, I, I, they're for deeper conversation. And so I played, um, as I was creating them, I played with my parents because I wanted to see how it, how it would like elicit stories from them. And I learned things about my dad that I had never known in 30 Aww. years. It was so cool. I love that. And then I was like, okay, are these fun enough to play with friends? So I took it on a bachelorette party and I threw some of the questions out and changed the questions because I really wanted to curate a perfect deck of questions that are fun and interesting and reflective and elicit great stories. And I, I like imagine people taking these to a dinner party, you know, and just like everybody at their table has by their napkin, everybody has one. I love this idea. Okay, no, I want to do this right now because she did it to me on her podcast. Let's and I'm do it turning together. the table. I love okay? it. No, I'm going to do oh, it you to want you. Me to, okay, perfect. Okay. Thank you. And I love this question everything. Okay, let's pick a card. Ooh. Okay, who do people say you remind them of? I get Ariana Grande at least once a week. <laughs> oh my God. Now that you say it, Oh my God, I get it. Are you going to be here for Halloween? <laughs> I actually was. This is a great story. I was Ariana Grande for Halloween three years ago. Uh-huh. I went to this. Don't ask me how I ended up here. I went to this epic Halloween party. I walked in. Jessica Alba and her husband Cash Warren walk in. Like everyone in Hollywood was there. And it was like 150 people. So it was small. Oh my God. And we're at this like mansion in the hills. There's a photo booth, like Olivia Munn is there and Rachel Zoe and um, Minka Kelly runs up to me and she's like, all my friends and I have to ask you, are you the real Ariana? Stop. And Wait, I do you was have like, a picture. <laughs> yeah, I do. I'll show it to you. And I looked at her and I was like, yes, <laughs> stop. And then I was like, I'm kidding. I'm not. And she was like, we actually thought you were. So it was really funny. I had my hair up, the whole thing. Um, But yeah, who do people say you remind them of? Oh, God. I don't know. I don't think I've gotten that many people. Like, Really? Yeah. There's this really beautiful actress, Frida... Kahlo? No, not that. (laughs) No, she was in Slumdog Millionaire. Frida Pinto? She's stunning. You think, oh my God. Yes, I I think you look exactly... When you walked in, that's what I thought. Well, thank you. That's very kind. Yeah, Frida Pinto. This game is amazing. And I'm definitely going to get a deck 
and maybe pull you and pull it on my podcast. Oh, I love that. (laughs) Thank you. So before we wrap, tell everyone where they can find you. On Instagram at Danielle Robay, D-A-N-I-E-L-L-E-R-O-B-A-Y. Amazing. Thank you, Danielle. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for listening. If you loved the episode and feel like it brought you value, don't forget to rate the show and leave a review. It takes five seconds and really helps the show grow so I can keep bringing on awesome guests. If you want to follow me behind the scenes, you can find me on Instagram at Sif And don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss a thing. I drop new episodes every Tuesday, so come hang with me and shoot the shit with some really smart people, learn and unlearn, and have a lot of fun. See you next week.